Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galani. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galani. Well, a good Sunday evening to everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, we're here every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. trying to raise everybody's health IQ just one listener at a time. If During this one-hour broadcast, if everybody listening out there, the number of people that we have, if there is one person or one family that we can help, then bingo, it is a success. I come back next Sunday evening. That's all we're looking for. We're going to try to raise the health IQ of one person. So with that said... Welcome, everybody. Hope you weathered the storm over the weekend. This was pretty crazy weather for July, but it is what it is. It's the Gulf Coast, and for those of you that live in different parts of the country, you have your own unique weather systems to deal with. But for tonight, make sure everybody goes to drjoegalati.com, drjoegalati.com. That is the website that we want you to go to, sign up for our newsletter, send me an email. There are links to other aspects of what we do, our medical practice for liver disease, Liver Specialists of Texas. You can connect to all of our social media pages, everything from Instagram to Facebook and YouTube, and be part of the program. See what we do with regard to health and wellness and liver disease nutrition, obesity, liver disease. It is all there by going to drjoegalati.com. And don't forget, if you don't have a copy of my book, Eating Yourself Sick, it is required reading if you listen to this program, Eating Yourself Sick, available on Amazon. All right, so for tonight, we have a returning expert that has made a number of appearances on the program, Anahad O'Connor. He is a writer for the New York Times, and he has written on a wide range of health and wellness, food and nutrition topics, and he is right up my alley. Everything he writes about, I feel I could have him on and talk about, but he wrote an article a week or so ago on alcohol. Now, being a liver specialist, a hepatologist, I deal with a lot of people that have alcohol-related liver disease. They may not be an alcoholic, okay? They may not be an alcoholic, but they have certainly drank or consumed alcohol to excess, 
that it has caused a liver problem, be it cirrhosis, liver cancer, fatty liver, or alcohol has made another liver issue worse, like hepatitis C, hepatitis B, fatty liver, autoimmune disease. Uh, and, and so the article that he wrote really points out the question whether or not the current alcohol consumption guidelines, which are, for the most part, two alcoholic beverages for men, one alcoholic beverage for women per day, is that too much? The other, the other really fascinating part of the story is whether or not the halo effect of alcohol, that it is good for you, it's good for your heart, it, it adds to your longevity, is it true? Or is there something inherent with the, the way these studies were performed that will mislead you unless you really take a very close look. So Anahad will be on in a little while. And another thing I want to you know, quickly comment on tonight, I am on call uh, every six or seven weekends, I'm on call covering the liver service at Houston Methodist Hospital here in uh, the Texas Medical Center. And on any particular weekend, I may have a list of anywhere from 30 to 35 patients that have some sort of underlying liver disease, cirrhosis, liver cancer, et cetera. And as I was going through the list this evening, reviewing the, the patients that I was covering for, I did a quick tally out of the 35, 38 patients. And what I found is that 76% of these individuals that are in the hospital with rather serious liver abnormalities, all have at the root of it a modifiable lifestyle habit that basically got them into this problem. And what I mean by that is these are individuals that have diabetes, high cholesterol, overweight, chronically consume alcohol, as a result of their fatty liver and cirrhosis and diabetes and high cholesterol, they have serious underlying heart disease. And it dawned on me that maybe 25% of these sick people in the hospital had a condition that happened to them by absolutely no fault of theirs. Maybe it was a genetic abnormality or some sort of rare autoimmune or hereditary type problem. But it highlights once again the gravity of the situation in that all of the chronic disease that we face, that you face, our listeners or your family members, could be modified, lessened, or avoided. Coming up in a few minutes, Anahad O'Connor with the New York Times talking about alcohol. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Stay tuned. We will absolutely, positively be back in a few minutes.
All right, everybody. As stated earlier in the program, Anahad O'Connor is on the phone with us tonight. He is a regular contributor, I'd like to say. He's been on many times. And his latest article is titled, Should We Be Drinking Less? And Anahad, welcome to the program again. Hey, thanks for having me back. Great to be here. Well, tell me, what um, what was the nidus behind writing this article? And as I explained earlier in the program, you you really have done a marvelous job in uh, talking and, and, and enlightening a lot of people on a wide range of health and wellness topics. But where did, where did this uh, idea come from? Uh, well, well, first off, thank you. And uh, second of all, so this really came from, you know, what has been the conventional wisdom about drinking in moderation for a long time. For many decades now, public health officials have been saying that, uh, you know, we all know that excessive alcohol consumption is bad for many reasons. Uh, right. you, know, you can you can speak to that from firsthand experience. You bet. Um, <laughs> from what you see in the clinic. <clears throat> but also, um, we know, you know, from studies that moderate drinking, on the other hand, uh, seems to be correlated with a lot of benefits. People who drink moderately, you know, meaning up to two drinks a day for men and one drink a day for women, uh, at least in large observational studies, these groups of people were, you know, shown to have lower rates of heart disease, um, you know, less uh, or reduced rates of mortality, meaning they seem to live longer. Um, they seem to have, you know, more cognitive benefits than people who either drank excessively or people who were abstainers and didn't drink at all. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the federal government, even in the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, the official you know, dietary recommendations, um, have long encouraged people to drink, um, you know, that if they are going to drink, they should do so moderately and that there might be some cardiovascular and mortality benefits from that. So that, that's been the conventional wisdom for a long time. Uh, but recently, uh, the perspective on that has started to change. Um, and recently, a committee of scientists who are helping to update the next edition of the Dietary Guidelines uh, looked again at this alcohol recommendation and decided that it should be changed, that there was not um, really good, strong evidence for this. And in fact, it, it might be the reverse. You know, I think this is an absolutely fascinating topic. And, and as you said, I see this every single day with the excess of uh, alcohol. I, I just want to clarify, when you said firsthand um, I am not known to be an alcoholic, so I uh, <laughs> so I, I know that. But uh, sorry, hey, no, I, I, meant, <laughs> no, no, seeing, no. I meant seeing it first. That's right. That's it's right. Dealing but dealing with dealing with livers every day. Yes, yes. But in in the public here, we we got to be careful. And I'm I'm teasing, of sorry course. But uh, <laughs> you, you know the funny the funny thing is, and I don't know if you you firsthand have come across this either with your friends or uh, you know in your professional writing. But, um, you know, when there are these various recommendations of uh, having light to moderate alcohol consumption is good for you, people really tend to latch on to this. And when I see people in the, in the office, in the clinic, and I find out that they're drinking five or six alcoholic beverages a day, they're very eager to say, well, my doctor told me to have some red wine, and you know the Surgeon General said I should have some red wine, but yet they don't understand that the guidelines, as they stand now, are one to two beverages, not five, and so they they create a a construct that 
seems to work for them. Do you see that yourself? Yes, absolutely. I've seen that, you know, among friends, among, you know, acquaintances. You know, people have this idea that, you know, if a little bit is good, then perhaps more is better or certainly not a bad thing. And people don't realize that the recommendations for one to two, um, you know, drinks a day qualifying as quote-unquote moderate drinking, you know, that's, you know, one drink is really uh, 12 ounces of regular beer, or just five ounces of wine, um, or one and a half ounces of you know vodka or some other you know distilled right. spirit, and that's really a, a lot less than you know the, what's considered a typical American drink. Most people who pour a glass of wine, or you go to a restaurant or bar and you get a glass of wine, you're usually served more than five ounces. If you only get five ounces, you think, hey, why? <laughs> you know, where's yeah. the rest of my of this drink I'm paying for? Um, so we tend to drink. Um, you know, a lot more than what's considered a standard drink in the uh, recommendations, um, first of all. And then, you know, you see people who are, you know, going way over the recommendations um, and thinking that they're only drinking moderately. Um, And in fact, now we have, um, you know, this new guidance that, you know, from the committee, you know, where they're saying that even the evidence for quote-unquote moderate drinking, um, and I can get into it as you like, but that evidence is not nearly as strong as we thought it was, and in fact, may be completely wrong. Well, I think so, and and these may be the things that everybody is latching onto. It may be a study, be it five years ago, be it 25 years ago, and it is there's, there's an awful lot of inertia to get people off that rock to change to change the way they look at all this. Now, the other the other thing, and this I I talk about this a lot, is that you mentioned what an alcoholic beverage is. It's you know beer, glass of wine, or or you know a shot of of uh, liquor. There are a lot of people out there that they think beer somehow is far better than wine or distilled spirit. And and typically in a conversation with a patient, we'll say, "How much alcohol do you drink?" And they will say, "None." And I'm like, "None, really." And they're like, oh, I quit alcohol 10 years ago, but they have a six-pack of beer every night. And Wow. Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, That's and so Yeah. And so I think— That's like saying you're a vegan, but you, know, you don't eat any meat except you have a steak every night. Other right. than that, you're a vegan. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And, and I think uh, the other part of your story where you had that little, um, you know, little graphic um, uh, portion, I guess it was just on the online version of the New York Times— where you outline with the little drawings the mm-hmm. um, you know what a beverage is, and I think that is you know that is really the basics in understanding alcohol. It's like how much you're really supposed to drink. Right. Yeah. It's it's very very little, and that's the thing is you know some of this evidence comes from observational studies and from you know anecdotal evidence. You know, looking at. Um, you know, people in some of the healthiest parts of the world, like right. in the Mediterranean, for example, um, where they you know, obviously um, uh, enjoy drinking wine um, in Italy and, and other parts of the Mediterranean, Spain. Right. But if you look at how they consume alcohol, um, you know, they're not drinking six packs of beer, traditionally, at least. Right. You know, they're having a little bit of wine with, you know, their lunch and or dinner. You know, right. it's a very small glass. They're not drinking to get drunk. Um you know, they're not waking up with hangovers. They're drinking very, very small 
amounts, you know, uh, uh, sort of to complement the meal, not to, um, you know, drink three or four glasses or have, you know, finish off a bottle. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, and people have looked at it, and, and one of the things you talk about is how there are uh, a few countries around the world that uh, the U.S. may be joining in making these uh, uh you know, recommendations on cutting down the amount of alcohol, but especially in France, a lot has been looked at there. And when you look at the French diet, it's high in cheese, high in fat, and that slows down the emptying of the stomach and in turn slows down the absorption of alcohol. And so even if you are having one or two glasses, the absorption is much slower and you don't get that big rush of alcohol hitting your liver or your heart to cause the damage. So again, yet another nuance that you talk about in the article. Right. Yes, that's absolutely a fantastic point. Um, you know, and, and you know, in fact, there may be some other benefits to wine. Red wine, in particular, it has these polyphenols that are, you know, like antioxidants. Um, there seem to be some beneficial effects on the microbiome. But it's the dose that makes uh, the poison. We know for a fact that once you go above a certain point, then you know if you have if you have small amounts, you might be getting some benefit. But if you go over, you know, one to two, then there are absolute um, you know downsides to that yeah, for your health. For sure. Um, in the in the article, you 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 sort of dove into uh, an interesting aspect, which I don't think a lot of people. Uh, at least on the surface, talk about, and that is alcohol consumption and the socioeconomic status of the person drinking and how that may be a- an element in all this that really we have to look closer at. With that question, we are going to take a quick break. We're with Anahad O'Connor of the New York Times. Everybody stay still. Don't move. We'll be right back. <laughs> everybody. Dr. Joe Galati, drjoegalati.com is our website. Everything liver-related, radio-related, health and wellness-related, social media-related, drjoegalati.com is the place to go. If you are just joining us, we have Anahad O'Connor from the New York Times on the line. He wrote an article about alcohol. How much alcohol is safe to drink or how much should we be drinking? And the last question I asked him before the break, and we're going to get him back on right now, is a lot of interest in whether or not the socioeconomic status of the person we're looking at, of the drinker, really weighs in and is important. So with that, Anahad, what do you say? Right. So it's really fascinating because, you know, we have this, you know, conventional wisdom that moderate drinking is good for your health, um, largely because of these large observational studies going back many decades um, where they follow large groups of people and they track what they eat and, and drink on a daily basis and then look at the outcomes on their health, and you tend to see that people who are drinking and having, on average, one or two a day, uh, one or two drinks a day, you know, they have better health outcomes 
Um, but what you also find in these studies, and this has been overlooked, is that you know people who are higher socioeconomic status tend to be people who are moderate drinkers. So when you when you look at socioeconomic status, you tend to find that people who are lower socioeconomic status, people who um, you know have higher rates of poverty, tend to be um, or have a, a greater likelihood of being either excessive drinkers or abstainers. Right. Um, and the people who are higher socioeconomic status tend to be, you know, having on average one or two a day. And, and why is that important? That's because uh, in the United States, one of the most powerful predictors of mortality, of cardiovascular disease, of health outcomes is socioeconomic status. Right. And the reason is because if you have, you know, <clears throat> higher levels of wealth, um, you have, you know, better access to health care. Um, you're more likely to exercise. You're less likely to smoke. You are, you know, less likely to eat, a, you know, a junk food diet. You consume, you know, less sugar. You know, fewer processed foods. Um, you're more likely to, <laughs> you know, do all these things exactly. that you know for a fact have a powerful impact on your rates of, you know, heart disease and uh, and overall health and mortality. Um, and in fact, they did a study where, you know, to explore this phenomenon, they looked at people, um, you know, who were moderate drinkers and compared them to abstainers. And they, you know, had a checklist of 30 risk factors for cardiovascular disease um, and, and mortality. And they looked and compared, you know, these risk factors among the abstainers and the moderate drinkers. And they found that, you know, of these 30 factors that have a, a mm-hmm. proven effect on cardiovascular disease, the... Uh, moderate drinkers had 27 out of the 30, wow. um, you know, sort of, you know, associations. So the moderate drinkers were far more likely to exercise, less likely to smoke. Um, you know, they had better diets. They had better um, access to health care. They had higher levels of education. Um, and we know, you know from studies that, for example, if you have a college degree, you know, you have lower rates of heart disease than people who have, you know, just a high school um, uh-huh diploma, you know, and, and it's not because a college degree protects your heart. It's because if you have a college degree, you have a higher socioeconomic status, most likely, and all these other, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, factors that go along with it. So, so it seems from these observational studies that uh, moderate drinking is essentially a marker for socioeconomic status, and that it's really the socioeconomic status and everything that goes with it that may be the protective effect not the alcohol itself. It's just a sort of, uh, you know, cofactor or, or marker, rather. Yeah, yeah. Now, another... And, another, and one, other, one yeah, other thing sure. that's interesting is that another example of this is when they actually looked at, um, you know, other things that moderate drinking is associated with. Um, they found that moderate drinking was associated with, you know, a lower risk of hearing loss, with a lower risk of having, you know, a childhood birth defects, a lower risk... Of, um, they even found a lower risk of liver cancer. All these things that really make no biological sense and are not really biologically plausible unless you're looking at the socioeconomic status. You know, why would moderate drinking protect against hearing loss or liver cancer exactly. or, you know, birth defects? It's only the socioeconomic status that actually makes sense. It's, it's, it's amazing. Now, there was, um, and, and, you know, certainly we see this, the association between alcohol and cancer, and and the idea is being floated that on your adult beverage of choice in the near future, there may be a cancer warning on it. What do you think of that? 
Right. So this is another thing that's been overlooked by a lot of people is that there, um, you know, any, even if there are potentially slight benefits of alcohol consumption, uh, many of the proponents of, you know, having tighter alcohol guidelines point out, you know, as you mentioned, that any of these slight benefits would be outweighed by the increase in uh, cancer risk. Right. And we know for a fact that even, you know, one drink a day um, can increase, sharply increase your risk of breast, esophageal, and oral cancer. And that's according to the National Cancer Institute, the American sure. Cancer Society. So very clear, definitive links there. So if you, you know, are, are deciding to drink because you think it's good for your health, um, you know, any potential, you know, cardiovascular benefit you might be getting um, would, you know, very likely be outweighed by the increase in cancer risk. You know, so this idea that, you know, there should be cancer warnings on alcohol is, is starting to gain some steam. Yeah. And along the same lines, there are, you know, and you see this a lot with a whatever the vegetable of the week is to say, if you eat beets, um, it's going to protect you from toenail fungus. If you have zucchini, <laughs> it's going to make, uh, you know, the hair on your head stay. Um, and <laughs> I mean, you've seen it, right? And yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't think any sane person would say one particular food is going to treat one particular problem. But um, you know, of course, we want a colorful diet and don't eat processed foods and things like that. But with the alcohol story, one again, another another. I, I think you you gave it one line in somebody's quote. If you're not um, inclined to drink. Don't start drinking because there may be a health benefit. And I think that's, again, it's, it's a real picky little point, but it, it, it does make sense. Right. And I have to say, you know, that this conventional wisdom on alcohol consumption, I had taken it for granted until I wrote this article and actually looked uh, at the evidence and looked at the studies that called it to question the observational you know, data, you know, so there were a lot of times where, you know, I'd be making, you know, a nice healthy meal and, uh, you know, I have a bottle of red wine on the counter and I'd say, oh, well, you know, I, I wasn't going to drink, but we know from research that right. you know, modern <laughs> drinking is good for health. So why not complement this heart healthy meal with a nice small glass of heart healthy red wine? And I have definitely, um, on more than enough, more than a few occasions, um, decided to have a glass of wine simply because I believe that, you know, there was nothing but health benefits there. And, and so um, I'm not saying that everyone should abstain, but, you know, as, as you said, um, you know, very nicely, you know, if you're not inclined to drink, um, don't be persuaded by this notion that you should be drinking to protect your health. Right, right. And, um, you know, another, another hot area, and, and this applies to a lot of research or uh, how consumers be behave, is the alcohol lobby, whether it's the, mm. the beer industry or, or uh, out in your area, the, you know, Napa Valley and the wine grower, the grape growers, everybody's got a stake in this. And um, it's, it's, it's easy to... I don't want to say fall prey to their pressure, but at the same time, uh, make them the enemy and just shut them out. So, what 
what do you think going forward uh, should be the relationship between consumer and brands and the science? Mm. Big question. Big question. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So, you know, for many decades, we've had these observational studies, which, you know, we now know have a lot of problems with them. And in addition to the confounding issues with um, socioeconomic status, you know, there's also the issue with, you know, when they compare moderate drinkers to non-drinkers, um, they later discovered that a lot of people in the quote-unquote non-drinking uh, groups may be former heavy drinkers or they right. may have pre-existing illnesses that cause them not to drink. So there's all these issues with observational studies that make them problematic. And so the answer to that has been, well, let's do a large randomized controlled trial where we take equal groups of people and we randomly split them up into, you know, one group that's told not to drink and one group that's assigned to drink, you know, one or two a day. And we follow them for years and see how it affects them. And, and that, um, you know, the NIH was doing that. Um, they had launched a study in, in conjunction um, with the alcohol industry. They got funding from alcohol companies, but they, they said, you know, they were just taking funding and they had no other role in the right. design of the study. And Unfortunately, that study came to an end um, when one of my colleagues did some investigative reporting that showed that uh, the investigators of that trial um, were actually, um, you know, sort of uh, promising the alcohol industry that they were going to have favorable results. And so, you know, that that randomized trial that was going to, you know, give us, you know, a, a good answer to this question had to be shut down. So now we're, you know, left with these problematic studies and so I think people should, you know, when they think about um, consuming alcohol, they should know, um, first of all, recognize what one standard drink is. Exactly. Um, you know, like five ounces of wine, um, you know, 12 ounces of regular beer, or like you said, a shot of uh, you know, distilled spirit. Yeah. Yes. So first of all, familiarize yourself with what an actual standard drink is. And if you, you know, like to drink, and many of us do, myself included, sure. um, just be very mindful of, you know, what, um, you know, what your daily limit should be. Um, you know, and one expert I, I talked to, you know, said, you know, if you want to uh, take the best route, then perhaps follow the, you know, Mediterranean tradition of having, you know, one to two, um, you know, standard drinks with your, you know, dinner and drink slowly, enjoy it, you know, don't drink to get drunk. You know, if you're waking up with hangovers, that's a bad sign. That That's a sign that you're having yes. too much. Um, and don't look at it as, as the only thing you're doing for your health. It's, you know, being healthy means, you know, doing a lot of things. You know, it's, it's a pattern. It's having, you know, limiting yourself to one, you know, drink daily perhaps. It's exercising you know, it's managing your stress, it's eating healthfully, it's spending time with your family, being social. Um, and if you do all those things and you really, um, you know, be mindful of how much you're drinking, you know, and limiting yourself to healthy amounts, then uh, then you don't really have much to worry about. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, as, as you know, this is a huge public health issue with regard to alcohol and I use the word ignorance loosely, um, but there's a lot of misunderstanding with regard to alcohol, and that's where people get in trouble. And I could hope, and I really do believe that an article like this that you wrote really will wake some people up 
and um, give them an excuse to have a conversation around the kitchen table or the water cooler or wherever people are hanging out these days and uh, and talk about it. So Anna had continued good luck. Thanks very much for your contribution. And um, there's still time to have a cocktail tonight. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We, we, we can toast to that. Um, and, and thank you, Joe, for calling attention to this and for doing a, a public service. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Anna. Anna had O'Connor with the New York Times. And certainly you could go to the New York Times website and search Anna had O'Connor and um, you'll, you'll see the various health and wellness uh, articles that he's written over the years. All right. Final segment coming up. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. drjogalati.com. Trying to raise your health IQ one listener at a time. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. And do think about alcohol, either for yourself or the people that you really care about. It's a tough conversation at times, but it has to be had. Think it over. We'll be right back. Gotta win it. Gotta put yourself smack dab in it. Thanks very much for tuning in this Sunday night. I'm Dr. Joe Galati, your health first. And that's what it's all about, your health first. DrJoeGalati.com is our website. As I said, every week, every chance we have, everything liver, digestive, radio, Health and wellness, nutrition, social media, it's all at drjoegalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter and stay in touch. And actually, you could send me a message through the drjoegalati.com website. And this segment is a little shorter because we ran a little long with Anahan O'Connor from the New York Times. And Keeping with the theme of alcohol, which, again, if you look at it, as a liver specialist, I see an awful lot of liver-related complications. Typically, it's going to be in the form of cirrhosis, chronic liver disease, and overarching all of this is a lot of misery. And there was a saying that my parents taught me when I was about, I think it was about eight or nine years old. I won't, another time I'll get into the details of how this little saying came to be. But they, they taught me very, very early, misery is optional. Think about it. Misery is optional. You do not have to spend your 40s and 50s chronically ill, feeling like crap, going to the doctor, waking up every morning taking a fistful of pills. You do not, trust me, you do not have to lead a life like this. 
It is miserable for you and the people around you. So that's number one. But with regard to alcohol, yes, there are research studies that have been around for decades that alcohol may have certain health benefits. I do not doubt that. I really do not doubt that. I do not think anybody is going to come to the conclusion that all alcohol has to cease. But at the same time, what I see is that people, as Anna had said, people drink to get drunk. They drink to get wasted, smashed, wrecked, S-faced, if you know what I'm saying. That is not the spirit of, gee whiz, maybe a little bit of alcohol is helpful. Maybe it is an adjunct to the exercise and the good food and all the other stuff that you're doing for yourself. Okay, not to drink every night a bottle of wine, which I see and hear every day. And so what we mentioned in the past, that, that Mediterranean way of life, that Mediterranean lifestyle, sitting around with the family, eating good, fresh food, which consists of vegetables, fruits, citrus, fish, eating slowly with your family, enjoying it. And as you are enjoying yourself, you are taking a sip of vino. That, I I believe, is going to be where the benefit of alcohol is going to come. But again, I ask you, look at yourselves. Look at the people around you, friends, relatives, the people you care about. Is it excess? That is the problem. So with that, I'm going to say, have a great week. Take a look at yourselves. Take an inventory of what you're eating and drinking and how much sleep you're getting and exercise. Are you happy? Are you stressed out? Do you not like your job? These are tough times, no doubt about it, but we could get through. All right, next Sunday, 7 o'clock, your health first. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.